and I've got to, I've got to say, got it. Well, good morning, everybody. Today's message is quite related to what you just saw in the video. But to kind of help you understand what I've been preaching on, it's been a, it's been a series on unity. Uh, we've been focusing on guarding our unity in our church community. And today's message is going to focus on an attitude in the mind. But before we go there, I'm going to recap really quickly uh, what we've been preaching on from Ephesians chapter 4. We preached one, two, three messages on Ephesians chapter 4. And what we talked about in a nutshell is this calling from the Lord Jesus to make every effort to guard the unity, to maintain it, to keep the unity that he's given us, the unity of the Holy Spirit in our church community. And this guarding effort, this make every effort, this 100% effort is every believer's calling. It's something that you and I cannot neglect. The, the unity is so precious to God that anytime the alarms go off, he wants us to make 100% effort at being, first of all, humble like Jesus is. If you're following Jesus properly, you will be humbling yourself and following him. If you're moving in your spiritual giftings, Properly, you can have spiritual gifts, you can have all sorts of knowledge, but if you are not in a proper mindset with Jesus, an attitude with Jesus, if you don't have the attitude of Christ, the very gift you have may end up malfunctioning. It may actually not do what it was meant to do, which is build others up and glorify God. We're to make every effort to be gentle like Jesus and patient like Jesus. And then it says in our commitment, our call to follow Jesus and be committed to one another as a church body made up of many different parts, and we are different, we're told to be forbearing in that love commitment toward one another. That's patience going the distance with each other through conflicts, through differences, through difficult maybe arguments. Uh, we need to actually be enduring in this Love that is patient with one another. That's, that's a forbearance that, that Jesus has and he wants us to have towards one another. We also talked about in the third message, guarding our unity by controlling our anger. That, you know, everybody gets angry for one reason or another. And sometimes it's even justified anger. You feel angry for good reason, because something unjust happened or something bad happened or some sort of violation that shouldn't have happened, happened and you felt it. But what we're exhorted as followers of Jesus who walk in a manner worthy of that calling, that invitation to follow him, is we're exhorted not to sin in our anger. We're exhorted to not go outside the boundaries of what the Lord commands us to do when we're angry. The anger of man, James 1 says, does not produce the righteousness of God. So we would do well to seek God's government over our lives when we're angry and his righteousness 
in the way to go forward, how to respond in that anger. Otherwise, we may depart from the Lord and begin to shoot at sin, expressing ourselves in all sorts of ways that we should not be expressing ourselves. It also says in your anger, do not let the sun go down. Don't just leave your heart offended. Because when you leave your heart offended, you leave an opening for Satan to come and influence. You want to come under the influence of God and not under the influence of Satan. So we need to be quick. Jesus even said, when you're worshiping, leave even the offering you're offering, this thankful offering to God, and go reconcile with a person you have a difference with, you have conflict with. Make peace quickly. Otherwise, the devil might get a foothold, and then when he gets a foothold, he begins to take more and more ground in our lives, and we don't want to be under his dark influence. He prowls around like a roaring lion. He's an adversary. That's a legal opponent. The Holy Spirit is our legal advocate. He helps us see things rightly and properly and helps us know how to respond. But Satan comes with arguments and even helps us justify ourselves when we're wrong to feel right about what's wrong. Sorry about the dog and the difference in the background there. Anyway, we're not, we're not to allow ourselves to speak certain things. No unwholesome talk should come out of our mouths, it says. No rotten talk. No talk that tears people down. It's a destructive type of talking. It's not a constructive type of talking. None of that should come out of our mouths. James teaches that that kind of talk, that curses others and tears them down is supplied from hell itself. It supplied in our hearts, fills our hearts and comes out of our mouths. And then many are defiled. And our call from the Lord is to actually cut that off, to stop the hellfires, to drop the hellfires, to roll away from the hellfires, to call upon God for better things to come out of our mouths. The Bible says, If you're not going to let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, what are you going to let come out? If you can find what is beneficial, what builds up the listener from God, feel free to speak that. Let only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And last time I said, most of the time we're listening to ourselves. We don't even know what the other person needs. Or they say it maybe in the wrong tone, or they they just said it in the wrong way and it bothered us. And then we did not read between the lines to find out, what does this person need, Lord? It's a good question to ask the Lord, because sometimes he can give you something that is not apparent and make it very clear to you, and it just shifts how you will actually respond to that person. So when God gives you his perspective or he gives you a word to hold tightly in your heart, then ask him, how can I apply? How can I act on what you just gave me? Because it's so far from how I was thinking of responding. Anyway, in our anger, our hearts need to be cleared all the time because our anger can develop a lot of terrible things that can come out of our hearts. And the way uh, Ephesians 4 puts it is put away bitterness Sometimes we get bitter. Sometimes something bad happens and we allow this root of bitterness to grow up in us and ruin us. It degenerates us inside and produces terrible fruit on the outside. Put away all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. You don't want bitterness to turn into malice, which is an ill intent in your heart to see that other person 
harmed or to see that other person never experience anything good from you. You don't want your heart to end up being in a state of malice. Put it all away. Get rid of it. It says in Ephesians 4. And instead of that, be kind. Be compassionate. Forgiving each other just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. I think of the compassion piece. And I think, you know, when someone is being rude or someone is just doing something so bothersome, it just scrapes against you. How can I have compassion for that person? I'll tell you how I can have compassion for that person. I look at that person and I say, they're having a bad day, just like I have bad days. Just like sometimes I, say, I react. I say things I shouldn't be saying. They're like me and they're having a bad day right now. And instead of me looking down uh, on them, I should be getting low and stooping down and looking to see if I can help them out of whatever pit they're in or whatever influence they're under or whatever is causing their bad day. Maybe to pray with them, maybe to lift their hands in prayer because they're not even in a good enough place to pray. But we shouldn't be looking down on each other, but in compassion, kind, forgiving, and helping each other come out of these places. Which brings us to today's message. Part four, we're leaving uh, Ephesians 4, and we're going to Romans chapter 12. And chapter 12, we're going to be covering 21 verses in the next few messages. I'm not covering 21 verses today, covering only three. I thought maybe I can cover a few principles, but this, this, this book is so rich in terms of principles and tips on keeping our unity, resolving our conflicts, how we can get through things and stay together, get along with one another in order to keep moving along as followers of Jesus together. You don't want to become divided and fragmented and fall apart. You want to stay together. That's the Lord's vision for us. The head of the church wants his body to stay together. The parts are different. The house, the church houses are different. They're distinct. They have their weaknesses and strengths, but we're meant to stay together in whatever the Lord is doing now and in the future. He's brought us together to go forward together. And Romans 12 teaches a whole lot of good things that will keep us together. In context, On what we're going to be focusing on today, Paul's letter here to the Romans is to Christians. And the Christians, you know, they can be divided if you want to divide them or categorize them in two groups that existed there in terms of their backgrounds. There were Jewish Christians and then there were Gentile, non-Jewish Christians. They weren't meant to be separate, even though we're saying Jews and Gentiles, but both Those backgrounds existed in Rome, and Paul is writing to them. Now, Paul's heart in his letter here and in this chapter that we're going to be focusing on is that Christ's one, not two groups, one church body would not be divided. We know that from his other letters as well. Paul is talking about dividing walls of hostility that existed between Gentiles and Jews, he's saying no more walls of dividing, dividing walls of hostility between these two groups, that they would become one new man in Christ Jesus. They would view themselves like that because that's what they are in the eyes of the Lord Jesus, in the mind of Christ. That's what they now are. They are not two distinguished groups. They are not. uh, There's the elite. There's class A Christians and there's class B Christians. They are 
both together one church body. And so there's no difference between them. Now, we see, you know, the spirit of this letter and other letters that Paul wrote. The Jewish Christ follower should not unrighteously judge the Gentile believer. Yes, they're different. Yes, they have a different background. Yes, they had nothing to do with God at one time. Yes, they were darkened in their understanding. But they have been brought all the way into the same covenant that Jesus paid for, the same walk together, and they should not be treated as something separate or lesser or looked down on or judged. The same thing with the Gentiles. They shouldn't rise up and say, who do these Jewish believing brothers think they are looking down on me and then start looking down as well and judging back? Paul is trying to put all all that aside and he's saying you're meant to go forward as one church body and you're meant uh, together with one mind in Christ. You, You need to be one minded in this unity. Christ's mind. He governs the church. It's his church, his one church. He, you need to be with one mouth glorifying God together. You keep hearing the words together, 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 not separate. And we like to distinguish the two sometimes, but he doesn't want, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Paul says that in a number of places. They are now one in Christ. And none of us should view ourselves as distinctly separate and away from each other. We are distinct. We are different. We're, we're, we're different personalities, different gifts. There are a whole lot of differences between us, but they're not meant to divide us. They're meant to come together and complement each other and strengthen each other so that the, the body of Christ is fully decked out, fully equipped for all that it's meant to do together. Well, let's read from Romans 12. There's a little a little introduction for you. <laughs> Romans 12. Go to verse 1 to 3. Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. In Romans 6, Paul talks about a body of sin that has been brought down to nothing. It's finished. It's become zero. The body of sin is when your sinful nature was governing your life and all that came out of your body's expressions. We've been freed from the body of sin. We are to be dead to sin and alive to God. That body, that body's not a bad body. What was coming out of it was bad, but the, the earth suit that you get to walk in and live in and, 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 and interact with the world around you, the natural world, that body is from God and it's been redeemed by Christ. And now it's to be dedicated, be presented not as a slave to sin, but now to be presented to God and as an instrument for his righteousness. And here in Romans 12, an echo of six, he's saying, present that body to him. Therefore, as a living sacrifice, an offering that's acceptable to God, holy, it's set apart for him, pleasing, it's agreeable to him. 
This is your spiritual act of worship. And then he moves on to what our message is going to be focused on, the mind, the thinking, the attitude of mind. And he says, the first thing he says is, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. That's the NIV. Don't think like the world anymore. Yes, you were born in this world. Yes, you picked up its thinking. Yes, uh, its thinking has been influenced by Satan from the beginning of time. He is the God of this world. He has influenced this world's thinking away from God and even away from how God would have us treating one another and viewing one another. Because when you view each other in a wrong fashion, probably wrong things will come out of us on how we treat each other. And we are to not have that mindset any longer. Don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world. Not its thinking, not how it actually behaves. But be transformed, it says, by the renewing of your mind. Renewing is a renovation word. It means get rid of you. When you renovate all the garbage, all the bad stuff, all the corrupt, rotten stuff, you throw it away. You pull off the two-by-fours that are ruined. You pull off everything that once was there that maybe looked good to the world at one time. But now you look at it and say, this doesn't look good at all. I got to get rid of this because it, it completely does not line up with Christ at all. It does, it's not his thinking. It's not his attitude. It's not how he wants me to follow him. How can I be thinking like this and following Jesus at the same time? It doesn't work. So you got to get rid of the old mindset and put on the mind of Christ and be transformed because your destiny ever since God got a hold of your life was to be transformed into the same image and likeness of Jesus Christ as a follower of Christ, as you're properly working things out with the help of the Holy Spirit, transformation more and more from glory to glory should be taking place where you're becoming free from the old things and you're walking in newness of life as a new creation in Christ Jesus and looking more and more like Jesus in your character first and then your behavior, your attitude, let the attitude of Christ also be in you and how you speak and how you treat everyone and how you serve the body of Christ and how you serve people in the world who are not yet with Christ. That's walking in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus whom you and I follow. And verse 3 is our main, main verse for the rest of this message now. It says here, For by the grace given me, this is Paul. (laughs) We'll talk about, I got stuck. I went for a walk with Sherry and the dog uh, yesterday I said the grace given Paul. If you if you if you just let that go past you, you won't imagine who Paul was. He had a thinking that was so high in himself and so wrong with Jesus Christ. He was a legalist. He was a specialist at that. He was so convinced in his mind he was serving God when he was killing Christians and arresting Christians. And getting papers of authority to go beyond the the region he had authority in. Breathing murderous threats. And he experienced something he did not deserve as a murderer of Christians. He experienced a visitation from Jesus Christ. You guys remember that? Acts chapter 9. and Acts chapter 26, he's still raving about 
what he didn't deserve, he experienced. And he was on this high horse, knocked down. It, the light was so bright, it blinded him. He became like a little child from this independence of doing all the wrong things. Now he was completely dependent. He was disabled. He needed someone to escort him back into the city as a blind man. He sat in that darkness fasting, would not eat or drink anything until God would show him what just happened. Because when Jesus encountered him, he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And that shattered his paradigm. He thought he was so right in his mind. And suddenly it exploded. When the Lord, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He became undone. The the Paul, the Pharisee, the Jew of Jews, the guy, all those credentials mentored by Gamaliel. I'm, I'm mentored by the best. He said, all of those credentials I see now as something to flush away like dung. In comparison to the righteousness, the justifying, the sinner that I am, the chief of all sinners, that righteousness Jesus has given me, he goes, there is no comparison in what I was walking in as a legalist in comparison to the grace of God that I've received in Jesus Christ. And so the Lord took a hold of him. The Lord cleansed him. He received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. He was baptized. He received the gift of the Holy Spirit. He was empowered in all the gifts that the Holy Spirit gave him. And he became Paul, he became a new man in Christ Jesus. The old things were gone. He stripped them off. And he's saying, by this grace that I received, and you received it too. You didn't deserve it. You received forgiveness. You received the Holy Spirit. Don't think you deserve that. It was by the grace of God, through your trust in Jesus, that you received this grace. And now you're a workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he's planned in advance. For you to do, Paul's assignment was to bring light to people in darkness, to give sight to the blind. And he's also assigned you similar things as an ambassador of Christ, calling to the world to be reconciled to God. We need to have the right attitude to shine for Jesus in an attractive way. As fathers attracting them to Jesus, we should not get between people and God by misrepresenting Jesus, but we need to have the same attitude of mind, the same conduct, the same way he speaks. If you don't see people generously, graciously, with healthy eyes, so that your whole body is full of life, ask Jesus to give you that ability to see them the way he sees them, so that you'll treat them with mercy and compassion and kindness and patience and gentleness and forbearance, and you'll walk in a manner worthy of Jesus following him and representing him, and people will be attracted to the Lord. Come on, George. Come on. Come on, I'm just getting started. I don't think I'm going to get through this one either. (laughs) All right. Here we are. It says here regarding a mind, a kind of thinking and attitude that that Paul is exhorting, like by the, the, the grace that I was given, it's like a favor I didn't deserve and a gift that God gave me and he gave you two. Here's his exhortation. Do not Think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. Don't puff up yourselves. You can read so much scripture, you get so much scripture knowledge that you begin to think of yourself as something. I know things now. I can talk to people and correct people and constantly debate and argue with people. If you think that's what it's all about, you've missed the point again. 
You might have all the knowledge, but he wants you to deliver that or apply that. It's his script. You're the actor. He wants you to act on that in a way that looks like Jesus, not you anymore. So you got to lose yourself in this knowledge and you got to find Jesus in this knowledge, understand it properly, understand the mind and the heart of the Lord Jesus properly so that you can have a knowledge that doesn't puff up, but a knowledge who by the spirit of God builds up everyone around you. Everyone should be better off interacting with you. And if they're not better off, there's something corrupting what you know. You are not representing it fully in the love of sharing the truth with people that God would have you, Jesus would have you share. Jesus was full of truth and he was full of grace. And we who are representing him need to be full of truth and full of grace. And if you're lacking this grace, something's gone wrong. You might not be drawing from Jesus, but you might be just drawing from your knowledge and it's coming out all wrong. Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. That's a prideful kind of thinking. But think with sober judgment. According to the faith that God has apportioned. The measure of faith that he's given you. He has decked you out with certain kinds of giftings. He's wired you a certain way. And he's given you a faith to interact with him, to draw from him, constantly abide in him. So that the things you have, you have been given enough faith to draw from the Lord and properly use your giftings. Ephesians 4 says when our giftings, each and every one of our giftings is properly functioning, guess what happens? The whole body is built up. The whole body grows up to the stature of the fullness of all that the head of the body, the church, Jesus, the head has in mind for us. I want to hit our full growth potential as a church. So we've got to ask the Lord, how do you want me to use this? Because if I'm not using it properly, the church is going to actually be shortchanged on what you gave me. I want to benefit the church. I want the church to be ministered to. I want to do my part. It's just the part. I have one part. Paul has a part. Each of us has a part. And we can't think of ourselves more highly in the part. When you do, you become, I'm going to go on the road with my thing. I'm going to build my own church with my thing. You're a part of a church already. If God is calling you out to do more on a mission, that's fine. But if he's not, you've got to check your mind and your attitude on what you have or what the collection of people around you. You might have a whole lot of people who are like you and you think that's great. That's not that great because the body is full of diversity. We're going to get that, to that in the second message. Like, I don't want to start preaching on the diversity of the giftings and one body, many parts, yet we're still one. And all of us need to use these parts fully together as one body. There needs to be diversity. If you don't have diversity in your church house, you need to actually aim to get some different kinds of people in there. And maybe keep reaching people in the world if there's a shortage in the church because God's going to equip them with certain giftings that you will be surprised with. We needed you. Man, we're sure glad we went beyond ourselves to reach more people in the world because look what he's given you and how much the church is encouraged by you being present here. Anyway, saying too much. Let's get in here. My mission in this uh, in this message is to spur on each of us as followers of Jesus with a Christ-like thinking attitude. A Christ-like thinking attitude. And why do I want to spur us on? 
to do that? Well, in this first message and among other messages that are coming, so that we can continue to get along as a church of many different parts, different people, continue to get along so that we can continue together to follow Jesus and move along in his assignments for us as a church. I don't want to miss that. I don't want to be stuck sitting here struggling on, I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you. I have something more useful. No, I have something. That's weird stuff that happens in churches where you create elite people and non-elite people. Everyone is needed in the body of Christ for what the, for, for what the head has in mind. We need, we need every one of us to manifest what God has given us to do. No one holding back or saying, well, I don't have what you have, so I'm not going to share what he's given me to share because mine is not as good as yours, so we'll just give extra time for yours and less time for mine. No! (laughs) All of it is needed in the body of Christ. So let's go back to this mind thing. Getting along calls for a right mind, a right perspective, according to the Lord. How we think of ourselves first in relationship with God Paul was thinking he was right with God when he was a hundred percent wrong with God when he was killing the Christians how we think of ourselves in relationship to God and how we think of ourselves in relationship to others we're told to not conform we said to the pattern of this world but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that's not thinking according to the world any longer, but thinking according to the word of God, where you find the mind of Christ, the logos. You have the scriptures, you have the logos, and then you have the Holy Spirit drawing up from that and mentoring you in your little times together with him. And then when the time comes to act on these things, he reminds you of these things. He says, this is where you're to act on these words so that you can experience the fullness and the revelation of what these words mean. You could make them your life and think like that and act like that and get a much greater greater experiential revelation of what he's telling us to do in the word we see the mind of christ and it i'll tell you guys my mind has been distracted in the last few months with some other things and they were displacing my time in the word i had time in the word some of it was because i have to preach messages and keep teaching but i began to Flatline <laughs> here, world news, uh, 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 an anxiety. I got to find out what's next. What are they saying today? What's happening in the world today? That began to displace my abiding or living in that space of the mind of Christ, being in the Word of God, asking the Holy Spirit, let's fellowship. Show me what this means. Could you teach me today? Could you help me understand this more fully? I, I won't fully get it unless Je- what Jesus said, you- you'll-, you'll-, you'll help me understand what this means you'll help me see jesus and you'll help me know to know what i need to do with this that diminished as i set my mind on other things they were actually choking the word my my life in the word they were they were cutting it short i was getting way less i need the word of god i'll tell you when the lord visits us in the word of god not just reading it like a textbook but a tent of meeting when we have time in the word with the lord you feel so good. You feel like, wow, Lord, you are good. And then it's like, Lord, I, I want that. I, 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 I want to abide not just in your word, but in you. I want, I, want to, I want to stick with you. I don't want to just see this and walk away and say that was cool. I want to stay in this. I want to walk in this with you. I want to follow you in this. 
So the word transforms lives when we abide in it. Now, Romans 12, 3, a prideful perspective is not a right perspective, ever. It's not a right perspective. I'll tell you where, where pride came from. It did not come from Jesus. You don't see pride in Jesus. You don't see him thinking more highly than he ought to think. You don't see him teaching others to keep thinking more highly than they ought to think of themselves. You don't see him telling the Pharisees, wow, you guys just know so much. You're experts. You know that you, you know your stuff. Man, they were calling him Beelzebub. A wrong perspective because of their pride. They had Jesus. They knew the scriptures. They, they can memorize the scriptures. They, they can tell you inside out where everything was. And there is the very one the scriptures were saying, he's coming, he's coming, his hut is coming. And they had zero discernment on who Jesus was. They, their, their attitude, their pride darkened it, even to the point where they saw people being delivered from demons and saying that Jesus was doing that by the power of the prince of demons. It's like, that is a really messed up thinking. And Jesus is like, stop. Your own kids are going to judge you on the day of accounts. <laughs> well, I got four more pages and I've only gone through one. <laughs> so we'll leave it for now. Uh, let's see if I can finish this properly here. We'll leave it for now and we'll do a part two on this thinking. Consider that a an introduction to this whole Prideful thinking versus humble thinking. The theme is humility in children's ministry. You saw the video. We want to teach about the humility of Jesus Christ so that we can properly follow him as a church and get along in order to move along. That's where this is going. Rob?